Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I am joined today, oh my goodness, it cannot be, can it be, it can be, the one, the only, Hope Charters. Hope, it's been a minute. How are you doing? It's me. (laughs) I am doing all right. (laughs) That's good. I'm so glad you could be back on. Actually, the main reason is, is I want to start off with some follow-up that I've been holding on to uh, for months and months. Because, well, you were on our live episode, which everybody should go listen to, which was live from the uh, carefully enunciated JASM conference. Um, But uh, you were last on, I think it was last year, and we ended up talking about uh, Petoskey Stones. Do you remember that conversation? Yes, I do, because I found one. You found one. Yeah. Well, the other day, this is the important follow-up. I was reading a book with my three-year-old daughter called Tallulah, Mermaid of the Great Lakes, which is a very cool book. I mean, you know, it's a typical kid's story that it's all about finding your own identity. It's okay to stick out or whatever. But I won't give it away because I don't want to (laughs) spoil one of the very few kids' books that isn't about just getting your kid to go to sleep. Um, But uh, Petoskey Stones play a key role in that. And so I was thinking about you. So have you found any more Petoskey Stones since then? I have not, but I'm about to go visit Lake Huron where Jay, our former buoy specialist, (laughs) lives on an island. So maybe I'll find some of them. Maybe you'll find some of them. That is Or Pudding Stones too. Pudding Stones too. That's right. Pudding Stones, Petoskey Stones, all kinds of stones. That is fantastic. Well, great. Well, we're going to get right into it because not only do we have a very fun interview today, but we are also going to go again with our brand new most popular segment, the uh, the Great Lakes News. But first, uh, it's time for the Great Lakes News theme. And now it's time for the Great Lakes News. Here's your host, Stuart Carlton. Thank you, Stuart, for that introduction. And actually, today we have a guest co-host for the Great Lakes News. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome uh, Sandra Svoboda, who is the program director for Great Lakes Now and an actual news professional. <laughs> yes, yes. Sandra, how are you? Thank you for coming. <laughs> I'm great, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Professional is a lofty word. I hope I can live up to this. Oh, on this show, you definitely can. We're we're in no way concerned. Uh, <laughs> that's great. So real quick, before we get going, so so you're going to be doing a, a guest hosting stint on Great Lakes News um, for at least the next few segments. Uh, so tell us a little bit, though, before we get going. So we're not going to do this every time, but tell us about Great Lakes Now. What is this exactly? Great Lakes Now is an initiative that is housed at Detroit Public Television, but but we cover the entire Great Lakes region. U.S. and Canada, all five lakes, the watersheds. So all the news about the Great Lakes. We say news about the lakes you love. We also do (laughs) drinking water stories. Um, Because we're PBS, of course, we have a monthly television show. It airs in several of the states around the region and a YouTube channel. Come subscribe. And we... The reason I'm here, that news professional part, is we have a website, greatlakesnow.org. I almost said Great Lakes News, greatlakesnow.org. And we post, you know, sometimes several stories a day about what's going on around the region with the science and the policy and the tourism and all history and culture and all kinds of things about Great Lakes. So news about the lakes you love. Don't steal that mantra. We won't. (laughs) That's too. uh... All right. We can share it, Stuart. No, no, it's it's all yours. (laughs) Well, we'll see. We'll see. Let's see how this goes. Uh, Fantastic. Well, and so my understanding based on the fact that we've emailed several times about it, is that you have brought three news stories from your website to us today. Is that correct? 
I have. I picked some stories I thought you and, of course, your listeners, most importantly, your listeners. But I did pick some that I thought. No, this show is not about them. No, no, no. (laughs) This show is all about exactly one person. Let's not kid ourselves. (laughs) Okay, Stuart. They're just for you. Just for you and maybe hope. A little bit for hope. Uh, I brought you three. So I hope we are recording this. Of course, podcasts are not live. (laughs) We all know that. So uh, I urge your listeners, if they want to see the stories, they might have to scroll down on our site to more news, additional view additional news stories by the time they get there. Yeah, First of all, do that because get more news from the website. Go ahead and do that. But second of all, right. if not, spend more time on our website. Yeah, That's exactly. why I'm it's here. no problem. Yeah. Or if not, <laughs> you can just look at the show notes uh, in your podcast player and we'll link to these stories directly. Perfect. The, the beauty of digital. So the first story I bring you is a little bit of a warning, uh, Stuart. How much Great Lakes fish do you eat each week? Uh, me, Great Lakes fish each week. On the average week, I eat, oh, Titus, are you listening? He's not going to like this. I, on the average week, eat zero <laughs> servings of Great Lakes fish. <laughs> Well, you know, in, one of the principles of journalism is to bring in several viewpoints. So the fishing industry may not like that very much, but the health advocates might be okay with it because the story we have up, it's actually, we have a lot of content partnerships at Great Lakes now. We're pretty small, very mighty, and we do a lot of content, but we also share. And so this story actually came from us, came to us from the Great Lakes Echo. So I want to give them a little credit too. And we share from our partners and they share our work, right? Scratching back, scratching yes, back. Yes, exactly. Anyway, so this is a story about uh, fish, about warnings about how much Great Lakes fish uh, you should eat uh, or a warning about how much not to eat to stay healthier because unfortunately we still have a lot of contaminants in the ecosystem and they get into the fish. And then when we eat the fish, they get into... Who do you think, Stuart? When we eat the fish, who gets when the contaminants? I think I think it's I think it's me. I think I get the contaminants. Yes, it's us. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So at least I don't know what your other habits are, Stuart, but at least if you're not eating too much Great Lakes fish, you've got a, a, a check in the healthy habits column. Um, but you know, I encourage you to eat a little bit more. It's pretty good stuff. No, it is. This is actually something we talk about a lot at Sea Grant in all honesty. Um, eating fish is complex because of contaminants, right? And that's not just Great Lakes fish. That's kind of all fish. Um, uh, and that's even without getting into the issues of the sustainability of the catch, right? There's somebody right now who I, I don't think he's a listener, but he's, um, pressing us to talk about the sustainability of, of different fisheries and, and things like that. So we may get to that at some point. Um, but it is a trade-off, right? Because fish are otherwise, they're, they're very healthful. Um, and, and another complication is what is safe is, is very localized a lot of times, right? Like, like, I mean, even within specific bays, what it'll look like is, 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 uh, can vary. And so eating fish is a very complex, complex issue just from a health standpoint. Yes. Um, the story we have is actually reporting about a recent study from the university of Wisconsin, Madison. Um, it was published peer reviewed scientific, you know, not just something we pulled off the random <laughs> internets out there. Uh, so the, it's now advantage, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. You said professional, professional journalist, professional news here. So the recommended fish intake is just two meals or 12 ounces per week as suggested uh, by the EPA. And so the study found that about 5 million people were exceeding that in our region. Um, they looked at several states and, and they found that disproportionately women, younger people, non-white people are the ones that are eating more of the fish, uh, not because they're necessarily buying it at Whole Foods, but because the, some, a lot of people catch it themselves. Um, 
you know, here in Detroit, uh, where I am, you see many, many people fishing uh, on the riverfront, the Detroit riverfront, a little geography lesson there, the Detroit River. And there are actually efforts here in Detroit and other Great Lakes cities to put the fish warnings, not just in press releases on websites, but actually out there on the riverfront where people are fishing so that they see them and can undertake a bit of a public health education campaign around this. So thank you for letting me bring this to you to maybe get the words. I mean, your audience is probably pretty smart here, Stuart, but a little more push to just keep an eye on the... That is it. And the, the people who... And this is something that I used to look at um, back when I was at the University of Florida. I did some some work with uh, subsistence fishers. And so a lot of times these people are fishing from the docks, are subsistence fishers, and they need that food, Right. Um, so that that's really complicated. Actually, Sea Grant's done a bit of work on this um, because Sea Grant is interesting with fishing. Like we tend to, for better or worse, for, uh, promote eating sustainably caught, managed, and or farmed seafood. Um, but with that, there there are you know these these caveats. Um, and so actually, we have a fair number of resources. For example, uh, we're updating right now. There's a fishforhealth.net website. It's a little bit out of date, but we're working on updating that where people can go and look for these sort of local environment or local warnings. But it um no, it's uh it's big and it's important and um it is challenging, but but uh, you know worth thinking about. Okay, story number two. Story number two. Well, you at Sea Grant and we at a PBS affiliate are all about education. I mean, your podcast title is Teach Me About the Great Lakes. So I I focus on the me more than the teach, but whatever. (laughs) Yes, that's that's very clear. As a listener, I was ready for this. But uh, so I thought I would bring a Another interesting story from one of our content partners, Uh, there is a publication online called The Conversation, which many of the academics in your audience may know about. It's a publication that features writings by academics, but not writing like academics. So they are writing (laughs) for a more... Uh, a more general audience, uh, not PhDs and peer-reviewed journals, but they write op-eds and observations and opinion pieces and kinds of editorials uh, and report on their work in a different way than they do in journals. So it was a the conversation as a site that I read a lot. It's nice to see academics and their expertise, but writing in a way that people like me can understand it. I mean, you've got fancy letters behind your name, so... You can read either. You can read the journals and the news sites. That's questionable. I thought this was really interesting looking at it um, because we do. That's another thing we think about a lot is is science literacy and and science education and and what it what it means exactly. Generally, we like to write at a sixth to eighth grade level to make sure that our entire audience can understand what we are saying. And um, yeah, so so we're always thinking about that. And science education is tough, though, right? Because there's like facts versus the process of science. And so this article was a lot about sort of having people apply the process of science, right? Or learn how to do that in their, their life. Yeah, look at you doing your homework before the show, Stuart. I love it. So yes, this this is actually the, I mean, the key takeaway for me from this, from this was that science is that what the educators found, they did their own little study. The end was only 20, 28 students. So the, um, they looked at biology and chemistry students and what they were learning and whether they could apply chemistry to biology lessons and biology to chemistry concepts in the same way. And so really the takeaway from this article is that we are all better served by less memorizing and more understanding concepts, specifically how to relate those concepts in other places. Right. So 
I'll have to, I'll think of a good analogy of bringing math to our website, but we'll move on. Sure. Fair enough. No, no, that, yeah. So I actually taught, I taught um, life and earth science for a couple of years in seventh and eighth grade. This was in uh, Pinellas County, Florida. And I was, I was extraordinarily bad at it. Um, But, but then we talked a lot about inquiry based learning was kind of the term du jour. This was back in 2006 or so. And, um, and so we talked about that a lot. And I think through, through that application is when you, what you're doing is training a mind as much as anything. And that, that's what they say about graduate school a lot is that, you're, you know, you're training yourself how to think. It's not so much what you're doing. Um, but environmental ed, actually, there's like a long history of this. I, I'm, so I'm working on a book chapter now, um, which a lot of people have heard me complain about, because that's what you do in academia is you get all these really cool opportunities, and then you just start complaining about them because they're a lot of work. And so I've been doing that, complaining about a book chapter and, and looking actually at the history of environmental education, uh, going back all the way to uh, like uh, Wilbur Jackman in 1891, who wrote this thing called the Nature Study for the Common schools, um, which he was like using nature as a curriculum then and, and talking about like 21 things you can, you know, studies to do on an earthworm and that kind of stuff. And then like, uh, you know, we, I'm tracing that history through like John Dewey, who was maybe uh, one of the greatest, if not well, the most renowned education philosopher in the 20th century. And then like environmental education started with William Stapp in 1969 and everything. And uh, but the, the idea is like, um, learning facts are good, right? Facts are important, but it's, it's, it's teaching you how to think. And that's especially important, I think, on these uh, uh, science type of classes. Yes. And in a little bit of shameless self-promotion, one of the reasons we put the story up, not only because science and education, but we at, at Great Lakes Now, we actually have a set of lesson plans, a collection. We build them out of each show now, each month. And so they're aimed at middle schoolers. And so it's a series of hands-on activities watching our show segment and readings. And so trying to bring, I've, I've seen a classroom use them and it was the, the, the teaching guy that it comes with has prompt questions. And it was really interesting to see the students talk about how they had seen boats so that they could understand buoyancy. So bringing those concepts together, of course, around a great, in a great lakes frame, I'm, I'm right with you. All right. Story number three. Story number three. I mean, this now, I'm, you know, my favorite phrase is shameless self-promotion, but this time when I say shameless self-promotion, it is for our entire region. So Time Magazine came out with 50 destinations for 2022, and they included two Great Lakes cities, Detroit and Detroit. Toronto. Toronto. And so, yes. So we put up uh, a little article about about the Time Magazine article, we included a map of all of the 50 destinations with links to the Time articles. But then we talked a little bit more about Detroit and Toronto and what wasn't in Time's reasoning for naming them with our own reasons. So that is our site as well. That is super. So what is a great reason that people should love uh, Detroit right now? Well, my reasons are different than Time. Time talked about restaurants and hotels and, you know, revitalization after the famous bankruptcy of almost 10 years ago. It, it, and, and, and Toronto was lauded for its museums and art and um, a little bit of the recreation activities, but neither of Time Magazine's write-ups included anything about the Great Lakes, Stuart. That's teaching you something about the Great Lakes. We are often uh, neglected. Time Magazine, what are they doing? They need to host a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so to, to actually answer your question, which is what guests are supposed to do for the host of a podcast, I will tell you that obviously my favorite thing about both cities is their location within the Great Lakes and all of the opportunities that that brings those of us who are lucky enough to live in these regions for recreational opportunities 
communities, understanding our science lessons when we go out and look at the waterfronts, and also just finding it a place where people of all walks of life come together, uh, places like Belle Isle State Park and the Toronto Islands and all of the great stuff that comes along with being a Great Lake city or a small town. There we go. Uh, fantastic. I have nothing to add. That was perfect. So, uh, if you have a story that you would like to suggest for Great Lakes News, uh, use the hashtag Great Lakes News on Twitter. Send us an email, teach me about the Great Lakes at uh, gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, follow everybody please follow uh great lakes now on twitter go to the website subscribe to youtube that means hit the bell right do they need to hit the bell they need to hit the bell they do they do we have a news weekly newsletter comes out on wednesdays it's got uh oh my gosh it's probably a competitor to your podcast news because we put news stories in our newsletter but you know we'll give you a shout out in that one of these days it's it's a it's a it's a big world a big lake we can all we can all take not worry about it well fantastic well Stuart, thanks so much for having me uh i think it's okay if i share a theme song with you so let's let's play that shall we yeah let's just go out with the theme song uh news from the lakes you love is that right close enough close news about the lakes you love greatlakesnow.org That's what a professional theme song sounds like. That's the uh, Great Lakes Now theme, which was composed by Clint Carpenter. Thank you for that, Clint. So our guest today is the mysterious voice behind the uh, Lake Superior Twitter account. Um, we are super excited to, to talk to him today. Hello, Lake Superior. How are you? Good afternoon. Doing well on the, on the breezy shores of Superior. That is wonderful. So for those of you who don't know, you can follow this Twitter account, Lake Superior, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. But it, it's uh, it's really interesting and has like a really sort of um, specific and, and um, fun tone, I think. What, uh, so how did, this, how did this start? I guess tell us a little bit about yourself to the extent that you want to while remaining anonymous. Um, and then wh- why did you do this? What is the deal with starting? Uh, why did you start tweeting? Well, my personal background is is I grew up very close to the shores of Superior. Um, My childhood home was a few hundred yards from the lake. I couldn't quite see Superior from the house. It was just blocked by some trees. And where I stand now, um, I'm uh, about 640 feet from doorstep to toes in water. Um, So I interact and see the lake um, every single day. Um, so I do have a long and, and deep history with Superior. That's amazing. Do you want to trade houses? <laughs> we can find space for you here and just all congregate here. Yeah, that's fine. I've I've seen Hope's house. It's a perfectly nice house, but it is more than 640 feet from Lake Superior. So I'd recommend not a trade. More more like a visit. I have no interest in moving further. Um, I'm, I'm on a mission to see if I can move any closer than 640 feet away. <laughs> Yeah, 640 is a little it's a little rough being there sometimes especially if there's a tree in the way or something. So the Lake Superior Twitter account was exciting to create and I came across it. The account was created in March of 2009 and I acquired it from somebody else I believe in 2010. 
I saw that they had the Lake Superior handle and was very interested in it. And at the time it was a stagnant account. And I thought it would be really fun to acquire. And I reached out and to my surprise, they agreed. They weren't doing anything with it. And it's essentially been more than a decade of building this voice of the most superior lake in the world. <laughs> so it wasn't exactly a Dread Pirate Roberts situation, but it was an almost Dread Pirate Roberts, I suppose. So yeah, what about that voice? How did how did you decide this was the tack that you wanted to? I mean, it's 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 very entertaining, and you probably don't know this because you might not listen. But on the show, we have an unofficial rivalry with uh, Lake Superior, um, and that we call it somewhat condescending and and arrogant. And um, yes, but yes. but yeah. So how did you arrive at at this uh, at this um, this tone? Was that something that came out right away, or did it sort of evolve over time? It has definitely evolved, and it has been a a craft, a practice and craft and taking on an identity that is of a non-human form. And what other voice can you use for a lake that's called Lake Superior that's among the Great Lakes? And once, especially once I came up with this acronym of GLOAT, of the greatest lake of all time, and then the actual definition of GLOAT um, and gloating, it, it just all fits so well to just really craft this personality of a sassy, overly confident, best lake in the world voice. I mean, what in your background led to this? Because, I mean, it's so well done. It's, it's so of its era, right? Um, but, but do you have like a writing or a comedy, t- you know, background? Or is it just something you've developed kind of on the side while you do, I don't know, uh, uh, computer programming or actuarial <laughs> tables or something? Yeah, it is. It is a, a side project that is for fun. I am. I am not a comedian by trade. Um, I, I've always, I've always uh, taken a passion in different creative pursuits. So it has been a creative undertaking for me. Um, but this has been a long road. I mean, it has been over a decade of crafting crafting this voice, and uh, a lot of different really enjoyable moments in that time. Um, but it's fun and it's, it's nice that it, it is anonymous and I can lean into this without um, expectations other than my own. How has the, uh, how's your voice changed over 10 years? You know, you spent 10 and, and you've been refining and everything. Is, is it just a case of sort of, uh, you know, slow refinements or have you made sort of conscious shifts over time? It's definitely slow refinements, um, but it's hard to go back a decade and remember what I was tweeting about that long ago. For me, it was mostly uh, the how I liked my coffee every morning. That was my original thing I would tweet every day in about 2008 or 10 or whatever. Yes. It was like, I like my coffee like I like my blank black. And I did that as like a creative thing for a while. Yeah, but that's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I can't remember. But I do have somewhat of an informal mission now. Okay. And really, it is, it is to... I love, I am not a Great Lake scientist. I am not a scientist of any variety. And with all the various organizations along the Great Lakes, the the scientists, environmentalists, uh, limnologists, all of it, um, it has been fun to create a community of those folks and to elevate their voices when I can. And, you know, by creating my own voice and having this sassy take, it creates um, a, a lot of enjoyment for people to create this following. And then I get to kind of relay a message of Great Lake scientists from Great Lake scientists to 
uh, lay people who may not know about all the different studies going on. I really enjoy that approach. And the other component is, is just to celebrate the Great Lakes and the outdoors and encouraging people to um, be responsible, to, to use humor to remind them to not litter and pick up their trash and look after themselves. And where we are today and probably what led us to this conversation is a hot political take or two, um, which changed the course of a 12-year-old Twitter account, changed the course dramatically in a matter of two weeks. Yeah. So about that. Um, so I have been, we have been following you for much longer, obviously, because of exactly what you're talking about. So at Sea Grant, there are a number of uh, Sea Grant employees who have, you know, public science kind of Twitter feeds. Titus Heilheimer is a good example. Um, Katie O'Reilly is going to, who is Dr. Catfish, is going to start working with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant um, in about two weeks, actually. And um, and then we have our, our Two Yellow Buoys account, and I, uh, which is an anonymous account. I don't want to say it's modeled after Lake Superior because it's not, but it's in the same vein, right? Yes, and I, I will say I, I have great admiration for Two Yellow Buoys, and I have a little bit of Twitter envy as I wish Lakes. I wish I had my own two talking buoys in <laughs> Superior. Um, but nobody has taken that on yet. No, no, we do a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that you uh, to make sure that you never get them. I'll be honest. The only reason Stuart said that we do not model them after Two Yellow or after Lake Superior is because we would never admit that Lake Superior is the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was a tweet you made, a funny tweet um, in response to Roe versus Wade. So when Roe versus Wade was overturned, uh, you came out in the official position of the Lake Superior Twitter account was that you support a woman's right to to choose. And then uh, somebody used that for their own political purposes. And then you made a, a very snarky, very funny reply, um, which I encourage people to go Google for. I, I, I don't think it would necessarily something we need to link to in our show notes. Um, but it was, it was, it was uh, very funny and very on point. But so what was that like? So then all of a sudden everything started blowing up, right? And you say that the course got changed. What was that like exactly? Well, it's, as I said before, I, I generally stay on topic with water puns, lake puns, um, teasing other lakes for being inferior, um, spreading great lake science and beautiful photography. I, you know, it's great to see all the photography uh, across Lake Superior. And I love the weather conditions and the inclement weather. And generally the tweets are in that vein. Once in a while, there's, there's a few um, a tweets that, that step outside of that and a, and a couple of political cold takes, as the lake would say. And the interesting thing is, is it went viral more than anything I've ever experienced in my life. And, you know, because of it, Lake Superior was actually a trending topic oh, on Twitter, which was, I guess, a, a new achievement unlocked. Um, <laughs> but I, I took a political stance and, and was happy to do so. Um, but I was, I was nervous thinking that, you know, this will upset some people and, maybe the following will go down, but it was too important to me to ignore. And it took 10 to 12 years to accumulate 40,000 followers. And in the course of two weeks, I accumulated an additional 170,000 followers. No way. <laughs> so it that is amazing. Essentially quintupled um, in, in, in a, a matter of two weeks. And it was extremely hard to look away. I do have other tasks and responsibilities in my life that need to be um, attained to. 
Um, but it was hard to address those. I mean, it was really hard to look away. It was um, exciting and fun. Uh, there were other news interviews and opportunities like this. And it was all out of a, a couple, like I said, cold political takes. Um, <laughs> but I'm excited now is that I have this huge new audience that I now get to expose um, the Great Lakes to and Lake Superior to and all the wonderful things about it. That is amazing. Talk about all of a sudden being in the limelight. I mean, not that you weren't before, but that's amazing. You had mentioned, um, obviously, this is one of the more memorable moments, the Roe v. Wade comment and reply. But what are some other memorable moments that you've had on the Twitter account? What are some of your favorite tweets? Well, there are other geological features on Twitter as well. And there was a pretty intense discussion several years ago um, between some Twitter volcanoes and if volcanoes or lakes are the greater geological feature. And uh, primarily a few volcanoes from uh, Washington and Oregon, I believe. And it was really fun banter to go back and forth with volcanoes on Twitter. And that's what I love about this platform is it allows for... um, um, you know, geological features to argue with each other. But the answer to that is clearly volcanoes, right? What is the, what is the counter argument for volcanoes not being, I mean, volcanoes blow up and stuff. What does a lake do? Well, I, 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 the lake will make the argument that volcanoes take life while freshwater lakes are an abundance of giving life to, to various um, mammals and creatures. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> However, I myself have learned a lot about the history, about the Great Lakes, the uh, geography, the geology, you know, and, and simply put, um, uh, they wouldn't be here without volcanoes. So <laughs> we are all tied together. Um, a- another favorite thing, a tradition of the Lake Superior Twitter account is that not most years I do a live tweeting of the Super Bowl. And instead of, but it's all replaced with fish puns. So the Super Bowl becomes the Superior Bowl. The kickoff becomes the fish off. <laughs> and as we know, the New England Patriots were in it many times and they always became the New England perch. And, um, I forget which team became the Freighters or the San Francisco 49ers became the San Francisco Freighters. Um, So I will live tweet watching the Super Bowl. And as somebody gets a penalty in the game, I will live tweet that that player got a penalty for um, littering on the beach. (laughs) And that's always been a really fun way to participate in one of America's biggest traditions the Super Bowl and to really kind of find this voice on the fly of, of, of crafting that is a real creative challenge. Um, but a lot of fun. That's something else. So I, uh, I mean, it's just a creative exercise In all honesty, you strike me as someone. And again, this is no joke audience. I have no idea, um, who the, who uh, the person is. He has to remain anonymous. I didn't even know it was a, he until he said, hello. 
Um, and we just interacted through direct messages on Twitter. But but in your heart, in all honesty, you remind me of somebody who would work for Sea Grant in that it's just that idea that science is cool. Here's how we can use science to promote, you know, sustainability and this wonderful resource and things like that. And 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 so it really it brings that to mind and it it tickles my my heart to hear that. Another thing that you do each year, um, they caught me off guard. So, so the, the gist of our show, the, 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 the conceit behind it is that I, I am from the Gulf South and lived there for the first 30 some years of my life. And, um, and, uh, then I moved up to Purdue, um, in order to take this job at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. And so I'm using this show to learn about the Great Lakes because I need to know about the Great Lakes in order to do my job better. So I might as well kill two birds with one stone, assuming birds exist, which is a different, anyway. Um, and, uh, um, one thing that caught me off guard is is every year still, I think, uh, you you commemorate the Edmund Fitzgerald, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, um, yes. by by tolling out the names, right? Uh, what and what caught me off guard about that was I didn't realize how recent it was. You know, there are still people who are alive, um, who uh, you know, new people probably on the the Edmund Fitzgerald. What 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 gave you the idea to do that, and what 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 goes into that every year? It's it's a time of year that for for this account that is very sassy uh, has a big support superiority complex. Um, I think it's 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 a reminder to to be humble for this really solemn thing that occurred, and um, there are relatives um, um, of those sailors who who are still living. And one year, I just thought it would be very fitting to recognize all of those names one by one um, with individual tweets. Um, and as the famous song goes, you know, the, the church bells chime 29 times. And I just, um, I thought it would actually be really powerful to, in some instances, to drop the humor and to just lay it out as it is. And then these were, uh, real people whose whose lives are lost, and that's something that I am I'm delicate towards. I'm I'm, I'm delicate towards the the subjects of the account of um, um, there are lives lost on the Great Lakes um, related to water safety, um, um, boating accidents, kayaking accidents, and I do like to remain sensitive, you know, on on certain subjects. That's what that's what caught me off guard. Where I did notice that tone change all of a sudden, and I thought it was weird. And then then I you know went and researched it because again I know the the song, but not well enough. You know, it's not as popular I think in the Gulf South as it is here. Yes. Um. And and uh, so do people respond? I feel like most of the response to that tone change is is positive. Do people? Is it mainly positive? Do people say you know what's going on with this or or? Oh no, it's it's absolutely positive. I, I think people like seeing that you know, more down to earth personality as well, which comes out in, in some of the different stances, you know, there are some of the cold takes or when I lean a little more po- politically, you know, it will be about um, the environment, um, climate change and different things, you know, where I try to say it straight, you know, and to, um, you know, remove the voice of that character, you know, to stand firm about where this lake stands on, on an issue. So, so I, I think it's, um, I don't want the account to be only about being 
funny and punny and like sassy, you know, I, I want to expand beyond that as well. Well, to move on to something a little less serious, <laughs> I feel like as Lace Superior, if you are truly the most superior Great Lake, you would know how many baseballs that your lake can hold. I mean, as, a, as, as the greatest American pastime, if you had to guess, or do you know, how many baseballs can Lake Superior hold? Because I know how many Lake Michigan can hold. And so you, if you don't have an answer, I guess that means the Lake Michigan is the greatest lake. Well, well, <laughs> we already know that I hold more baseballs than Lake Michigan will ever hold. So let's, uh, let's back up. We know that I, Lake Superior, hold roughly three quadrillion gallons of water. To my rough knowledge, I believe a gallon container can hold about maybe nine baseballs. So give or take, you know, we're looking at 27 to 30 quadrillion baseballs, regulation (laughs) size. I love it. Lake Michigan can hold 22.6 quadrillion. <laughs> okay, okay. I guess I guess we'll give this one to you. <laughs> okay. So we're in the same ballpark. Yeah. I, I, I think I might have to round up a little more. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you really are the gloat. Okay. One more sticky thing. Now that I'm thinking about it, I should have prepared you for this. I apologize for not. But since you're here, um, we like to uh, do uh, stupid lists. So, um, and, and so let me explain how this works. Well, it never works. I always, and it's always my fault, so I apologize, but that's where we are. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you for your top three facts, speaking of how many baseballs I can hold, top three facts about Lake Superior. We'll count them down from three to one, and we'll start with three. And the way it's going to work is I'm going to give a drum roll, and then you're going to say the fact, and then I'm going to play a sound effect of Titus Seilheimer saying, woo, and then we'll talk about that fact. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. All right, so your top three facts about uh, Lake Superior, number three. I hold three quadrillion gallons of water. <laughs> Actually, they're over to Kid O'Reilly. Three quadrillion gallons of water, and that's a lot of baseballs. And so is that that's the largest Great Lake by volume, right? Is it? How, where's it fit worldwide? Yes, uh, in, in volume... I will admit there are a couple lakes with more volume, even here in the U.S. I believe uh, Crater Lake is our most voluminous lake in the U.S., I believe. And there is this pesky little lake called Lake Baikal in, in Russia, which which I don't even believe exists. I think it's uh, propaganda. So I always like to tease Baikal, Baikal. But I believe the stat is that Superior, you can empty Superior and it would fill every great lake, including two extra Lake Eries. A couple bonus Lake Eries. I like it. <laughs> the number two fact about Lake Superior. Hold on. It would take 693 years to resurface Lake Superior using a single Zamboni. <laughs> you figure that out that's so weird <laughs> that's a rough estimate and that does not include coffee breaks and oil changes for uh, a single zamboni right zamboni drivers got a pee right <laughs> yeah it um the, the the math has been done and and i believe it was the surface area of lake superior is about 
the equivalent of 52 million um, NHL ice surfaces. You know, so that puts it into a little bit of context just about how how big it is. And the number one uh, fact about Lake Superior is... I'm the greatest lake of all time. There it is. <laughs> okay, let's get... No, no, no. Let's, let's give you a real fact. All right, now hold on. According to Great Lakes ice cover history, going back to the earlier mid-70s, Lake Superior has been 100% covered with ice on only one day. And I believe that day was... Uh, mid-March of 1996. So what happened in mid-March of 96? Oh, in March too. That's rough. It should be warming up by then. Yeah. I mean, so peak Lake Superior ice cover is always mid-March. That's always when when it's at its max. And yeah, you know, there's, there's several years where it's been 90% frozen over, but, um, According to the, I believe it's called the Great Lakes Forecasting System, Coastal Forecasting System, um, only once has it been frozen over entirely. Well, uh, Lake Superior, the gentleman behind the Lake Superior account, um, this has all been really interesting learning and, uh, you know, all about you and the account and all of that. But that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The reason that we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes is to ask two questions. Uh, the first of which is this. If you I'm could nervous. choose, if you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would you choose? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I would, I would have a great sandwich for lunch. Great sandwich for lunch. And so then the next question, normally I, I will be more broad. Next time I'm in Lake Superior region, right? I'm, I go uh, kind of a little Northwest to here. Where should I go to get a really good sandwich? A really good sandwich. There's um, a, a little fish place, uh, downtown Duluth, a little fish market, which has a, a killer salmon sandwich. Really? I'll have to get the specifics. So do the salmon kill you or is it just, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. A fish yeah. market. In, <laughs> a, oh, a salmon. Sa- so how do they, how do they, how do they make it? I've never had a salmon sandwich. Is it, wait, no, I know this place. Someone else recommended it the other day during a different episode. Hold on. I'll have to find it. It's called the, yes. What is the name of this market? Do you remember it? I believe it's called Northern Water Smoke Northern Water Smokehouse. I am an advocate of some a Cajun an open Cajun whitefish sandwich. And for the final question, what is a special place in the Great Lakes that you'd like to share with our audience and what makes it so special? Wow, that's a big question. I think any place that you can get to an elevation. Um, you know, I, I do, I am, I am not a scientist, but I do like these little factoids and I believe when humans stand at the shore of the great lakes, any lake it is approximately something like eight miles we see to the horizon. And that's it, you know, and to consider that Lake Superior is what, 130, 140 miles across in 340, 320 miles in breadth. Um, we see such a tiny sliver of the lake. And even when we go up to an elevation um, like the Palisades or, or some places in, in Michigan and in, in Ontario, 
we are seeing such a tiny sliver. I think it is impossible to feel that true scope of how big these lakes are, especially, you know, you consider Lake Superior as two countries and three states and, you know, takes several days to drive around. Well, uh, anonymous human behind the, uh, or the Lake Superior Twitter feed. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Hey, it's a pleasure. I I'm happy to, uh, come across your blog or sorry, your podcast and, uh, all the best. Uh, thanks for doing what you do. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. was a fascinating interview with an interesting and and strangely influential twitter account wasn't it yeah that was that was cool i cannot believe that he shot up by like 180,000 followers in the course of 2 weeks that is wild it is and i bet i bet it changes the relationship like you love to hear or people love to talk about twitter as like a toxic hell site or whatever i'm sure he got exposed to some of that in addition to lots of thumbs up and everything i bet it was surprisingly stressful actually yeah well, Hope, what do you got going on lately? Anything cool uh, communication-wise coming on the website? What, do we, what should we point people to? That is a great question. If you guys are worried about drought or anything affecting your grass, go over to LondaLakeMidwest.org and you can um, find all the eco-friendly ways to care for your lawn um, from, you know, all year round. We have seasonal calendars that gives you monthly to-dos. That sounds good. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. We encourage you to check out the great work we do at iicgrant.org and at ILINC Grant on Facebook, Twitter, other social media. Check out our Insta. Check out Londa Lake. Check it all out. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, Carolyn Foley, Megan Gunn, and Reedy Miles. Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and our fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by Joel Davenport, although I just found out that the little tube coming from the scuba diver's neck should be black, not yellow, according to one of our interns. The show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose, and I encourage you to check out her work at aspiringrobot.com. If you have a question or comment about the show, please email it to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com or leave a message on our hotline, 765-496-IISG. Hey, we haven't heard from you in a hotline in a while. Give that a call. We'll play it on the air. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Teach Great Lakes. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And keep creating those links. <laughs>